0: Hi there, I'm Michelle Bunch, and this is Enthusiasm Diaries. Enthusiasm is contagious, and in this podcast, we get to share in the enthusiasm of others and perhaps spark some of our own curiosity along the way. Thanks so much for listening. So I am here today with Lucas Carr. He is the Associate Professor of Health and Human Physiology at the University of Iowa. So thanks so much, Luke, for being here.
1: Absolutely. Thanks for having me.
0: Um, so I guess just to start, how how did you kind of get interested in physiology and, and sort of health promotion overall?
1: Yeah. Um, so yeah. I, I think it kind of just started um, with my general interest in, in sports as a kid. You know, I played in... You know everything I could you know get into uh, basketball or football or track or golf or whatever it was. You know I was always always doing something um, active as a kid, and so when I got to college, um, I you know I guess I tried to just follow a path that was consistent with that. You know I was really interested in, in sports, and that kind of evolved in just uh, being involved or interested in exercise in general. I guess. And so that sort of led me to, um, like the field of, um, it's called kinesiology, uh, which is the study of movement and, you know, f- people who, you know, get into a, a kinesiology degree often, um, might go into like a pre-professional health type of, of career focus. So, you know, for, for a bit of time there, I, I was pre-med and then I figured out maybe that's not what I want to do. And so, um, you know, I, I did some, sh- you know, job shadowing uh, with a physical therapist and I thought, well, this is, you know, kind of consistent with that, you know, p- you know, the whole idea of physical therapy is to, to keep people moving and to use exercise as sort of a, like a therapy. Um, and so that was kind of my, my path. And I um, got a degree in, in exercise uh, science. Um, but after doing a, an internship, like a full internship in, in physical therapy, I quickly realized this is not really what I want to be doing on a day in and day out basis.
0: Yeah. Wh- why was that just?
1: Well, a lot of it was, I, you know, I, and I should have come to this realization much earlier, um, but, you know, Hard in, to know in, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> you know, in that setting, you know, you're, you're oftentimes dealing with people who are, you know, they're in pain. And so, mm-hmm. um, and that's, and that's sometimes a, a tough thing to see on a, on a repeat basis. And so I kind of just try to think you know long term and felt like this is maybe not consistent with with who I am and, and my personality and so I kind of just decided well you know I don't exactly know what I'm going to do at this point and so I decided to go back to school and get a master's degree in um, exercise physiology um, still not with a real clear focus of you know what am I going to do with this this education. Um, but thankfully, um, as I, you know, like my second year of my my master's program, um, my our department had hired a new person. His name is Dr. Derek Smith, and he um, was looking for a, a graduate student, and I was, you know, looking for for a mentor, and so it just kind of worked out that way. Um, yeah, and so I started working with him, and you know, through a lot of discussions with him, I really figured out that maybe a career in academia was, was the thing for me. You know, I, I was, um, I'm, I'm generally a, a pretty inquisitive person, uh, and curious. And, and that's a big part of, you know, being a scientist, you know, you, you ask questions and you want answers too. um, and I didn't really know that about myself until, you know, it, it took a, a person to kind of, you know, open my eyes to that, that possibility. And so I was very thankful that I, I ran into him at that point in my life.
0: Yeah. Wow. And um, just I was just curious, too, when you were talking about even just going back to your younger years, was your was your family as a family really active or or was was that just part of the culture of how you grew up?
1: Um, You know, I I think my parents are active, um, but it was just kind of how I grew up. Part of it might be that, you know, growing up in a smaller town, Mm -hmm. you know, there's sometimes there's limited options of of (laughs) activities to do. So in a small town, you know, it's, it's really easy to, to get involved in sports and that, that occupies a lot of time. And I just, you know, I had a real, I guess, you know, passion for, for, you know, competition and sports in general. Uh And so that's, that's how I filled most of my non-school time. So
0: well, so when you kind of made that connection that academia was maybe where you were called to, what's what's like the first step of that?
1: Yeah, really it's trying to, and I, I always, you know, we're always trying to do this with my current grad students is really figure out, um, you know, w- what is your interest in, in research? And so like, you know, at the university level, you know, we have a couple of different charges. One is to is to educate our students, you know, and, and teach them the things that they need to, to know to be successful in their future careers. Um, but also at, at the university level, a, a big thing that we try and do is is advance our understanding of, of certain concepts, and we do that through research. and And research is not not for everybody. And so you really have to figure out is is this something that you're interested in? Are you are you interested in figuring out what we don't know and coming up with, um, studies, uh, or solutions that help us understand, you know, fill those gaps. And I figured out that that's something that really drives me. You know, it's, there's, there's a million questions out there that can be answered and it just takes, it takes a person who, you know, has, I guess the motivation and the, the interest in really pursuing those questions, Um, and, and that's something that I've learned that I I really like to do. And so for me, it's, it's, it's really easy to, to do this on a day in and day out basis. It doesn't really ever feel like I'm, I'm going to work.
0: Yeah. I was, I was just kind of the picture that came to my mind was, it just doesn't seem like a boring thing if you're always chasing down new answers to things,
1: right? Yeah. You can be as creative as you want to be, you know, you can, mm-hmm. you know, there's um, so many different ways that you can answer these questions. And so, you know, it's, you're your own limitation really, um, yeah. which is, which is really great.
0: That's awesome. So, um, so at the time you, you guys kind of got connected, you were, you were a master's level at that point. Is that yeah. right? And
1: yeah. Um, so, and then I decided, you know, I was, I worked with, with, uh, Derek for a year and then he just, you know, said, you know, if you're interested in, continuing in this and pursuing this, you know, I'm, I'm looking for a doctoral student and there would be a spot for you here if you wanted to stay. And I had no, I really had no intention of, of doing that, but, and, and, really had never even thought about it. But, um, you know, I gave it some thought and you know decided, well, I can give this a shot and see where this heads. And yeah. thankfully, you know, that, that worked out.
0: Were you fearful at all or?
1: You know was I don't think I was, I, was it more yeah.
0: just kind of like this seems like the natural next step
1: I think I was fortunate to be young enough that I didn't know what to be scared of you know <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah I just decided I'm gonna keep doing this uh, until it doesn't work and yeah that it doesn't that, feel that, right yeah <laughs> you know since a you know naive you know youth uh, really worked in my favor actually yeah yeah so. there's some
0: some positives on that for sure. Yeah. So what, what was it like to pursue your doctorate?
1: Um, a lot of really, I don't think, you know, I, I guess I originally thought, you know, if you have a PhD, if somebody is calling you doctor, you must be brilliant. And there's a lot <laughs> of brilliant people for sure. Like there's no doubt about that. Yeah. I don't necessarily consider myself to be a brilliant person by any means. I, I, I'm somebody who it's two things. Like I'm, motivated by these things, you know, by this line of work. And so for me, it really is pretty easy to do this. You know, it's, Mm -hmm. it was never, it was never difficult for me to continue on in in school. I actually thought that graduate school was a little easier than undergrad, because you have more time to focus on a smaller number of things. Like you're taking Mm -hmm. fewer courses. um, And, you know, rather than taking six classes, you're taking three. And so, and then those three courses were were much more interesting. You know, it wasn't you know a lot of general electives that you know you necessarily had to take. It was the things you really wanted to take, and so yeah, yeah. Um, So it was actually really enjoyable for me. I um, I enjoyed the the coursework I was taking. I got to uh, do a little bit of teaching as a as a graduate student, and mm. you know, kind of get a a taste of, of what that felt like. Um, you know, as you become uh, a more senior person in the lab, you start to work with undergraduate students in kind of a, you know, a, a structured mentoring capacity, you know, like I'm, I'm not making decisions for them. I still have mm-hmm. a mentor myself, but, you know, it was nice to be able to help them along and show them some things that I had learned. And so yeah. there's this kind of this natural hierarchy in the lab. So I kind of got a taste of all the things that um, a, a career in academia was, was all about, you know, teaching and, and research, Um, and so, it just, it just fit with my personality. Um, so it was really great.
0: Cool. Um, and how long, how long was that process?
1: So my master's degree was two years and then my PhD was four years, which is, is pretty typical. Um, you know, it kind of depends on what discipline you're in, but that's, that's a pretty typical timeline. Um, what's not always typical. I don't think, you know, I was, I was a person that, Went straight through. Um, I got, you know, I t- I didn't take any breaks uh, in between undergrad and graduate. There's a lot of folks that, you know, they finish their undergraduate degree and they decide they're going to work for a while, take some time, and really figure out if this is for them, and then they come back later and, and finish their graduate program, um, and that that works out for a lot of people. Um for me it was it was really I, I enjoyed school. I didn't see why I should why should I quit this? This is a pretty good yeah, gig. So why
0: stop now? Yeah,
1: let's, let's keep going. So <laughs> yeah. And, so I just kind of went went straight through.
0: Cool. And um so can you kind of explain a little bit about what your current role looks like now, having finished that your schooling?
1: Yeah. Um so now I'm kind of on the other other side of these things. Um so it, it, it all transitions, you know. After I, I finished my my PhD, I, I did a two year training fellowship, uh, a postdoctoral fellowship, and for those two years, um, really, I, I was able to spend two years focusing on what I really wanted to do. You know, like mm-hmm. as you're doing your PhD, oftentimes you're you're doing research that is. In line with what your mentor wants to do, um, and so you help oh. them, you know, you know, accomplish those those tasks and finish those studies. During your postdoc, you know, the goal is for you to become independent and really think about well, what are the questions that you really want to answer, and how are you going to build your own line of research and, and kind of break away from uh, the people that have been, you know, keeping you under their wing. How are you mm-hmm. going to become a leader in in a certain area? And so it's it's, it's really a wonderful time. Um, you just have unlimited time actually to think about this stuff. You're not taking any classes. Um, you're still probably doing work for like a a mentor, somebody you're working with, but you really get a lot of time to just focus on, on the research you want to do. And then after that, you know, it's time to to you know, get out there and get your own job. And, um, and so that's kind of where I'm now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: And, and just backing up what when you were talking about the fellowship period what what were those things that really were the things you wanted to focus on what were you doing during that time
1: yeah so my my phd was in exercise physiology um, which is you know a study of you know how does the body respond to exercise you know how what are some of the the health outcomes health benefits that come with exercise and i'm i'm, I'm very interested in those topics um, mm-hmm. but the when I did a postdoc, um, the, the position I took was um, in Rhode Island at, at the Miriam Hospital and, and Brown University, and the focus there was it was a cardiovascular behavioral medicine um, group, and their interest was not so much in what is what are the benefits of exercise, but more, you know let's think about physical activity and exercise as a behavior. You know, it's something that we, we do every day or, or don't do. Um, and there are things that either predict whether a person engages in that type of behavior or prevents a person from doing that. Um, and so that's what I, you know, I figured out that that's really where my interest lies is, you know, we, I think we know that exercise is this really good thing. There are countless health benefits that that go along with being active, but, very few people, very few humans, are habitually active on a regular basis. Um, I had a one of my mentors when I was getting my my PhD. Um, he was a, a zoology professor, and so he he studied human or studied animals, and he posed the question to me, which I thought was ridiculous at the time, but. Now I I think it's I, I finally understand his point. He asked, you know, why is that? You know, prove to me that exercise is this really great thing. You know, there are only two mammals in the entire animal kingdom that do this voluntarily, and that's humans and rats. And you know, I was thinking, well, that's you know, it, it, I thought it was a crazy idea, but um, it really is kind of true. It's it seems almost like a an unnatural thing for a human being to, to really try and engage in like this structured, repetitive exercise where we run on a treadmill for 30 minutes every day. You know, there's a lot of people that don't enjoy that at all. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, that's what really fascinates me is is figuring out why some people like that, why somebody, some people are really almost addicted to this behavior and some Mm -hmm. people just despise it
0: right cuz and i'm trying to think through that whole like rat human and every other species thing is it is it like that other species wouldn't do that unless they were finding a food source or running away from danger
1: yeah i mean is, yeah. yeah as humans we evolved to really um we you had to be active to survive you know you had mm-hmm. to hunt and gather and if you didn't do those things you know, you weren't going to have food. And so, you know, it's, it's necessary for us to have the ability to move. Uh, but mm-hmm. in today's society, we don't have to do that anymore. So our, right. you That's know, our different. environment has shifted. Um, you yeah. know, we, we can, we can call anybody and have them bring us food. You know, you download an app and food is at your door in 10 minutes. Um, and so that, that requirement is no longer there. And so really mm-hmm. it's it, in order for somebody to be active, it, it really requires them to make this active decision to do this. And um, there are all kinds of different motivations for you know, reasons why people do this. Some people do it for health reasons. Some people do it for, for vanity. Some people, you know, it, it, it's, it's all over the board.
0: Stress relief. Stress yeah. relief.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it's really trying to figure out, well, what is the motivation for a person, an individual and how can we, you know, if somebody's looking for help, how can we help them?
0: Oh cool. So were there things you found during that period of time in your research or exploration?
1: Yeah, I, I kinda wish that we like I, I wish I had this story where I could say, well, it was an unknown back then and now we now we have all these solutions. Um, and we have some, but you know, we certainly have not figured this out. You know, like yeah. I think it's estimated off yeah. Twenty percent I would say of of adults in the United States are what we consider to be regularly active or, or meeting our, the recommendations. And so, you know, 80% are not. So mm-hmm. we really have not figured this out um, by any means. Mm-hmm. We know some things, you know, like we know that people tend to be more active when they see others being more active. Um, mm-hmm. We know that people are, are more active when they feel confident in their ability to be active, which is a, like a, mm-hmm. a called a self-efficacy. Um, and so we can use those lessons and apply them to programs that we develop. You know, for instance, we might build a program that helps people, you know, builds a social support network around an individual, um, whether that's through like group fitness or, you know, you can might be able to use social media some way where somebody's feeling supported and able, um, to, to to be active. Um, we can teach people how to, you know, be more active in the face of certain barriers like bad weather or, um, over the holidays, for example. Um, and so we can do all kinds of things and, and we know that we can help people be more active if we really focus on them. But when we, when we, like any kind of intervention, if I were to take that intervention away, or if I were to take that drug away, um, generally people fall back into their old habits. And so what we really need to focus on and figure out is how do we teach people to, to make a change and then for that change to stick for the rest of their lives. That maintenance piece is the thing that really has we eluded has us to this point.
0: Okay. Wow. It's, it's so interesting. And I, yeah, I think about my own life too. Like I mean, it's making me wonder like what, yeah, what makes me want to do that or not want to do that. Yeah. Right. It's cool. Um, so has that that question been something that's kind of continued along with you now in your current role or
1: Yeah, I would say that that's the the driving thing. Um so it's interesting as you you were talking about like, you know, it, your, your career shifts a bit and so like in the in the world of academia you start out as an assistant professor and if you're in a research track oftentimes you're you're in a tenure track role and so for the first six years or so um you're, you're trying to get tenure you know this this thing that you know people will say is you know it's like a lifelong lifetime contract with a with a university you know you, you're you're pretty much um uh, a sustained member there, you know, you have the vested interests in this group and it's, that's where you're going to be. You have a lot more security, I guess. So um, in 2017, I I received tenure here at the university and it was a really nice opportunity. I'm not sure it's a, it's a lifetime contract by any means. um, But it was a nice opportunity to, you know, you, you feel more secure in your position and you can take a moment to really think about like, well, what, what do I want to do now? You know, like I've spent all this time really trying to make sure that I publish enough papers and I get enough grants for this, for this institution to keep me. Um, Now that that's happened, now what, you know, like is, is what I've been doing to this point? Is that what I want to continue to do? Or do I want to really focus on something else? And so I did take a little bit of time to, to think about those questions. And really what drives me is, is, figuring out, you know, how to help people become more active. But really, I I really want to focus on the people who need it the most. And so at the University of Iowa, we have um, a really great um, university hospital. um, And there are, you know, so many patients, uh, patient populations who could benefit from being more active. And so my focus is really – treating exercise as medicine. And this is like, there's a, there's a global initiative that revolves around this idea. But I think that, um, my lab, my university, we have a a really just ideal opportunity and, and just physical setup to really explore this idea of how do we provide physical activity and, you know, kind of physical activity therapy to patients and survivors, um, people who would benefit from activity. How do we how do we provide them those resources and really teach them how to lead an active life? So that's Mm -hmm. kind of where I'm focusing now.
0: Oh, cool. Are you, are you currently connected to certain patient populations or groups?
1: Yeah. So we have um, a couple of studies that we're doing. One, we, we just call our exercises medicine program. And the idea of this program is um, to basically connect our hospital and patients with our university and our, and our students that, that we teach in our department. Um, and, and we haven't done this before. Um, but it to me it just makes you know such good common sense that we have a, a ton of students who are like me years ago who have this interest in exercise or sports. They're not, maybe not sure what to do with this. They have this general sense that they want to help people in some way, um, but it requires somebody to help like kind of guide them and and really show them the opportunities that are available in this in this field. And you know, on the other side, we have this, you know, huge hospital that's full of patients, um, who are suffering from diseases that, um, many of which are related to, to physical inactivity or, you know, and, or could be improved by, you know, taking up physical activity. And so this program is just meant to bring those two groups together, um, and provide students with opportunities to, um, provide a, a service to patients who, who are in need. And so that's our exercises medicine program. We, we train students to be health coaches. Um, our health coaches are connected with patients. They work with them for 10 weeks, and they really kind of teach them all these things that we know about um, physical activity, behavior change. And that's open to, to all patients, you know, like people who um, have diabetes or obesity or you know high blood pressure. Um, so that's one, one area. And then the other area of research that I'm focused on uh, is, a, is a physical activity intervention that is targeted to um, adolescent and young adult cancer survivors. And so this is an interesting group. Um, they're, they're folks in between the ages of 13 and 39. They have recently um, had cancer and um, you know, beaten cancer and are off treatment um but what we know about them is they both because of their the disease itself and also the treatment that they've gone through whether that be radiation or chemotherapy or whatever you know both mm-hmm. of those things have taken a huge toll on their bodies and oh, for
0: sure yeah. yeah
1: and they're young enough that they have a lifetime to uh, have to deal with this and so they're at they're at increased risk for for all kinds of of conditions many of which could be improved with exercise and physical activity. And so this project came about because folks in our, uh, what we call the AYA cancer clinic, um, mm-hmm. they had seen a, a publication that we had, 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 had done. It was a physical activity intervention. And they had said, you know, this would be really great for our patients. We, we currently don't have anything um, available for them. You know, we tell them to be active and it's important to be active as a, as a cancer survivor, but we don't really like Teach them how to do this and so they asked if we would build a program to do that and so that's kind of what we're doing right now and so we have a, um, a, f- a mobile health um, program that we're providing to aya cancer survivors and we're going to test this to see if it helps them become more active and if it helps them improve things that are related to their disease like fatigue is a huge issue with with survivors. Mm-hmm and pain sure, and yeah. mood. And so that's kind of what we're doing with that project.
0: Oh, cool. Well, and I, I imagine that's helpful because um, I think about people going through that kind of treatment, especially at a young age. It's things I've heard from people people going through treatment is it's hard to know how much you can push physically. Mm-hmm. Like if, you know, one's body is not like it was pre-treatment, but um, I do, does your program, it sounds like kind of help to give some direction and um, sort of work within the correct limits of exertion of and things like that? Yeah,
1: absolutely. So this is um perfect example. You know, while exercise is kind of the focus, the, the approach you take um, is it has to be different for different types of populations. So mm-hmm. with this group suffering from things like, you know, really like chronic fatigue, you know, it's important to start slowly and, um, mm-hmm. you know, teach people to tune into their bodies and understand that, you know, this is not just a, you know, it's not a, a sprint, this is a marathon. And so we're really mm-hmm. trying to get you to to do this right the first time, start slow, listen to your body. Um, but know Mm -hmm. that if you do this regularly, we, we can, we can get at this fatigue issue, you know, like we can train the body to become healthier and stronger and hopefully fatigue will become less of an issue over time. Mm -hmm. So, uh, we really try and focus the, the program on the, the issues that are, are really relevant to that population.
0: Yeah. It makes so much sense. That's so cool. Um, so, so that's a, a component of your current role. Are there other things you you're doing right now within within your role as a professor? There,
1: um, yeah. So, part of my job, I would say, at least fifty percent of my role is is research. Um, the remaining fifty mm-hmm. percent is probably split up between teaching and um, you know service to service to the department, university, the profession, those kinds of things, um, and so. I've tried to, you know, I guess in an effort to be as as efficient as possible, um, I I teach courses that are very very relevant to my research and and kind of inform my research. So I teach one class on on obesity, um, and it's a it's a class that takes a big picture view of of one singular disease that is you know largely affected by behavior uh, behaviors like physical activity and diet um, but we we talk about all things related to this disease including you know what are the what are the consequences of the disease what are the con you know the um, prevention and therapy uh, options um, and so we spend an entire semester really focusing on this, this one disease um, and then the other class uh, I'm going to I'll be teaching a new class here in the spring that focuses specifically on physical activity and dietary behavior change. And so it'll be targeted to students who are, you know, graduate students who are, um, going to be future, you know, clinical exercise physiologists or healthcare providers, um, teaching them how to, how to help people make, you know, sustainable behavior changes. So those are great, you know, those are just like to me, really fun courses to teach just because I think the content is so, so interesting. Uh, it's, at least uh-huh. it's interesting to me <laughs> and, and my job is to right. make it, you know, as interesting as I can yeah. for students. Um, yeah. and so in that way, you know, you, you get to be creative there too. You know, there are a lot of ways to, there are good ways to teach and there are ways that are maybe not as effective. So, you know, mm-hmm. it's all about good persuasive communication and that's, that's important for the kind of research I do as well. So, um,
0: those are fun, uh,
1: fun fun courses to teach.
0: Has teaching come naturally to you?
1: Um, maybe not at first, you know, I'm a, I'm an introvert. And so to get in front of a a group of, um, maybe 50 or a hundred students and, you know, be on and, and, you know, speaking publicly, um, that is definitely something that takes some time (laughs) to get used to. Um,
0: Yeah. I can imagine. Yeah.
1: So, and, you know, like all the fears that come with public speaking, you know, like just not knowing an answer to a question, um, you know,
0: being stumped, stumped,
1: you know, that (laughs) in the early years of teaching, I was, I was probably a little bit petrified of that idea, but I've, I've figured out very now later in life that I'm probably going to get stumps on a regular basis and that's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, like those are all just mm-hmm. opportunities to, to find new answers, you know? And so it's, it's okay to say that you don't know something like nobody mm-hmm. can be the expert in everything. And so, right. there's no. but way. what we can do is we can use our resources and we can, we can find the answers to those questions. And, and that's a key, you know, principle of, of how to teach students like we, we need to teach people how to how to answer questions um, and so I try and I try and bring some of that those ideas into my classes as well they you know I want them to be mm-hmm. critical thinkers I want them to be able to um, sift between the noise of, of what's real and what's not um, and mm-hmm. that, that's kind of what that's science huge. is about.
0: Yeah. Well, and it's interesting. I, I think back to when I was doing more research in my, you know, back when I was a student and so much has changed as far as how we get information and what's available. It's crazy. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. What,
0: how, what has that been like to kind of be teaching in that the time where there's just so much available and continues to, to grow, of course?
1: Yeah. It, it, it's a challenge for sure. Um, specifically within the the world of academia, we are now kind of, I guess, inundated with so many different um, journals, um, many of which are considered predatory journals. Um, and there, you know, it used to be that you would you would submit a, a manuscript or a study uh, to a journal, and that journal would be reviewed by you know, three of your peers, any anonymous peers, and it would be accepted or not accepted, um, and that was it. Now um, we have you know a lot of journals that are more of a take a, a for-profit type of um, model and you know each day I will get a number of emails from from journals saying asking me to send them manuscripts studies um, and, and most of them have no, fits or relation to the research i'm doing like i i've gotten on some sort of list and i know this is you know consistent with a lot of uh, of my colleagues um and so you have to be really careful now of of where you're publishing your research um and mm, and
0: I didn't know that that's yeah, yeah
1: there's a there's a list actually a group actually came up with a list of predatory journals um and it's it's a published list and so it is kind of helpful um you know journals are trying to figure trying to figure this out because you know it's it's spreading misinformation which is Mm -hmm. you know you could publish a a really great study that comes to a conclusion but if that one study is um you know just drowned out by three other poor studies um you know, it, it causes a real problem. It's it's hard to really figure mm-hmm. out what's the truth and what's not the truth, and, and being able to sift out mm-hmm. all the noise. So yeah, that's
0: it's so confusing. That's yeah. an issue.
1: And then on the other side of like in our media, you know, I think we're kind of in a really interesting time where you know the many media sources are are being accused of being fake news, and mm-hmm. whether that's true or not, you know, that's the public perception out there. And so for students who, you know, in the, this is not true for everybody, but I, I know for myself, it was true. I, I had I wasn't really, I wasn't reading the news as a, as a college student. Um, I was not interested mm-hmm. in that stuff at all. Um, and so, but you, you hear things, you know, if you hear something on repeat enough times, it, it gets into your head. And so for, for students, I know, uh, in, in my classes, they've heard things that, you know, a certain publication or a media source is, is is fake news and they, they believe it. They believe that that's, whether Mm -hmm. it's like the New York Times or, or, or some, you know, group, um, they believe it's fake news. And so their, their credibility in that news source is diminished. And that's, that's a challenge. Mm -hmm. Um, when I'm trying to teach my students how to find credible news sources, um, you know, Mm -hmm. I, I find that I'm, I'm kind of, fighting an uphill battle in some cases. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. It's yeah. Really, really tough. And, and I I'm trying to even think, how do you teach some of that? Like it's, it's a complex yeah, issue. It is. I know, I know one of the things you and I have talked a little bit about is sort of the idea of like, and you touched on this with the service and of course with the research you're doing, but just the idea of like how you can have an impact on, on what you're doing. And um, I just wonder if you can say a little bit more about that.
1: Yeah. that That's um, one of those things that I really tried to <laughs> think about is, you know, after like post-tenure um, you know, like mm-hmm. my, whether it was a, a midlife career crisis or whatever you want to call it um, you know, I wanted yeah. to really think about like I want to make sure that the, that the, the things I was doing, the, the things I was spending my time on were the things that had the, the greatest impact. Um, and I think, you know, there's, there's so many different ways to have an impact. Um, and I, I think I'm really fortunate to have a job where each of my roles um, I think are impactful, you know, it, whether it's teaching students Um, I want to make sure that I'm, I'm doing this in a way that has the biggest impact on their lives and I want to have a sustained impact. So I'm, I'm trying to rethink the way that I, I teach classes, you know, like less, Mm. less lecture me talking at you, um, which is probably not going to stick with you long-term, you know, is as persuasive as I could possibly be. Um, really, I think, you know, there are probably, it's probably useful to to spend that time in a way where we really focus on a few ideas and really dive into them deeply, mm-hmm. um, and like collectively, collectively right? Of. And engage uh-huh. in meaningful experiences that you know somebody will remember after they've left this class, this university, um, and so you know, how I, how I teach my courses, I think is, is evolving as I, as I think about how, how i might have an impact on students. Um, mm-hmm. and in the type of research I do, you know, I want to not just publish for publishing's sake. I want to, you know, do stuff that I think is going to have a real impact on our field. Um, research that mm-hmm. could possibly have an impact on policies, um, health related policies. You know, I, I want to be able to look at my career at the end of it and look back and say, you know, there was, there was a reason for all of this stuff. And, and I don't want to come look back with, with regrets and say that I was just kind of going through the motions and doing this just to be promoted and to, to move up the chain. That's not really what drives me at Mm -hmm. all. I, I, I really want to feel like that, uh, you know, when I, this place is better now because I was here. Um, and so hopefully I'm doing those things now. Um, Time will tell, I suppose, but
0: it sounds like it. But yeah, I I think this even keeping that kind of question in your mind, I would kind of focus you and and moves you in that direction for sure. Um, Can you say a little more about the things like having research affect health policy? Have has anything that you've done impacted that thus far, or are there things you're hoping that it does in the future? Yeah,
1: um, so it's you know policies. Operate at lots of different levels, and so in the in the world of public mm-hmm. health, we think about you know you could have federal policies um, that impacts you know everybody in in our in our country, um, and it's 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 unlikely that I, I myself am going to, going to do some study that impacts a federal level policy, um, but policies yeah. also operate That's at pretty big yeah. undertaking. Um, so you have to be kind of, <laughs> kind of realistic in, in what you you can do. Um, but you yeah. know, organizations have their own policies. So like our university, for example, has policies. So one of the studies we did was was testing this idea of if we were to replace um, traditional seated style desks with, with standing desks, would that have an impact on students' health and capacity to learn? Um, and so we did a study in this area where we compared a sitting uh classroom versus a standing classroom and we asked questions uh, related to that and we found that you know if you provide students with standing desks or opportunities to stand that they'll stand more during class Um, and there were some some hints that um, students tended to feel like they were more alert um, during class when they were standing um, and had the the, i guess a a higher capacity to, to to learn and to take in concepts so you know, that kind of study, um, while it has not resulted in the university, you know, throwing out all of the, the seated style desks, you know, it, it it informs that discussion of whether this is something that we, we should consider as a university. Um, should we be providing students the, at least the opportunity to stand during class, uh, you know, if it's going to have a, an impact, positive impact on their, their ability to learn. So that's the kind of research um, that I, I, I've done Um, we've done other research looking at um, pouring rights contracts um, which are are contracts that universities engage in with with beverage companies um, that provide you know, a lot of sugar sweetened beverages to universities. And so we've explored this idea uh, of whether this policy this university policy is something that, you know, students and faculty are in favor of, or, you know, what kind of what kind of health impact is this having on on the stakeholders of our of our university. And so I think those kinds of those studies are can be impactful. They they can inform the policies that we we choose to create at our university level and and we can think about studies that you know maybe expand to other types of policies so yeah
0: yeah it's that's great did, with the beverage contracts did um was there any changes impacted by that or is it still kind of a work it's still in a progress? work in
1: progress we haven't uh, finalized our publication yeah. for that for that work yet um but we um i think it's an interesting and an important question to ask of, of whether or not um the mm-hmm. university you know, should engage in a pouring rights contract with a beverage company, um, and also, what do what do stakeholders at the university uh, think about these types of contracts? Are they in favor of this? We know, we know mm-hmm. enough that if 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 a person is exposed to a, a certain type of food, let's say it's even like a, a candy bowl in your your living room, if you're exposed to that candy, you're, the risk of you eating that candy on a regular basis goes up. Dramatically, if it's not there,
0: yeah, I can yeah. Yeah.
1: And if it's not there, it <laughs> makes sense that you're probably not going to eat it. Um, and so that taking mm-hmm. that same idea and applying it on a on a larger scale, like a university scale, um, it makes sense that if we make a concerted effort to ensure that sugar sweetened beverages are available on a college campus, you can probably be sure that consumption is going to be higher. Now. There are mm-hmm. pros and cons to these types of contracts. You know, there's there's money exchanging and how that money is used to support programs at universities. You know, you could make an argument that there's a benefit to having these kinds of contracts. But what we wanted to start our discussion was, well, if we, you know, first and foremost, are people even aware that these contracts exist, which we found that most students and faculty are not, you know, this is not a common term. People were not aware that these types of contracts exist. Um, but two, if we mm-hmm. educate them about both the pros and the cons of these types of contracts, what do they think about them? Are they in favor of of universities, you know, having these contracts? And we found that most faculty and students are are not in favor of these contracts. We know enough that you know, sugar sweetened beverage consumption is a is a, a major contributor to the obesity epidemic. And this is, again, this is a an area that blends both my teaching and my research. This idea really came from this course that I teach on obesity, you know, where we are exploring um, you know, research articles in this topic. And, you know, it, it's very clear, you know, sugar sweetened beverages are a really, really easy way to bring in a lot of calories for very little nutritional value if you know if any
0: well it's interesting i'd love to hear more of what comes from that um are there any and you've touched on some of this before with just sort of your overall goals of of having an impact um in a positive way through health promotion but are there other certain goals or interests you're pursuing or or hope to focus on down the road um
1: it's a good question. I think that's kind of where where we're at now is trying to figure out well what are what are our next steps. Um, really, um, I'm trying to take a a singular focus um, on this idea of how do we how do we help people make changes? How do we help um, people who are suffering from disease make positive health behavior changes? And can I can I concert my my research and my teaching and mentoring time? Uh, service time all around that single idea, and so um, part of this is is thinking about you know, like how not just my lab operates, but also how our department operates, um, and thinking about ways to maybe leverage those kinds of relationships. Um, that's where I'm spending most of my time now. Is is really trying to to focus and and do as good of work as I possibly can on some of these really you know specific types of questions. Um, I'm a person that Mm -hmm. has, you know, I, I I sometimes feel like I'm a kid in a candy store. Like if there's lots of interesting questions out there, I'll, I'll jump to all of them if, if, if I allow myself to, but, um, really to do Mm -hmm. good work, I think I really have to make sure that I stay focused on, on those single questions.
0: Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. I can I can feel like a kid in the candy store with stuff too, so I, I can appreciate that. It's there's so many different things. Sometimes it's just hard to know how to how to focus it. Mm-hmm. Focus it. Yeah. Are there um, just with in all the things we're talking about? Are there kind of moments or times that you can feel yourself sort of feeling the most alive, the most engaged?
1: Yeah. Um, or is it, kind of it all of it? It's a lot of it. I, I think actually what I'm finding Mm -hmm. now is it's, it's really opportunities where I'm interacting with a person, whether that is a student in, Mm -hmm. in my office and we're having discussions about, um, you know, like their future career or um, working with a a patient who's, you know, trying, you know, we're we're enrolling in in one of our studies, you know, oftentimes I think as, as you grow in your career and you go higher up a chain you have fewer opportunities to have um, one-on-one types of conversations and i i'm trying to keep an eye on that you know I, i don't want to necessarily get to a point where i'm not having like a on the grounds type of impact and, and relationship or conversations with, with people. I want to, I want to keep doing that because mm-hmm. I think if you, if you forget to do those things, you, you sort of forget, you know, like you, you don't remain as grounded as you, as you should be. Um, and so I'm finding that. I'm
0: mm-hmm. like remembering yeah, why you're doing. Yeah. When it, I maybe. go
1: home and I, and I tell my wife a, a story about work at, Like if it's a positive story, it's oftentimes a a conversation that I've had with a person. It could be a colleague, it could be a student, it Mm -hmm. could be a a a participant in our study. Um, But I I really think that that's the stuff that really keeps me keeps me going. You know, um, seeing people make positive changes, um, or seeing a student you know like that light comes on where they really just understand a concept for the first time that's the kind of stuff that Mm -hmm. makes like it's it's tangible i guess it's like seeing the the fruits of your labor in in real time happening um that's the stuff that's really great Um,
0: yeah Wow. That's awesome. And, and how does this, I know you have kids and, and your wife, of course, how, how does this, all your work sort of impact your personal life and how you raise your kids? And Yeah.
1: It, it's interesting. It's like, I, I try not to make my kids be Little participants in all of my in all of my, <laughs> my experiments, Study. but you know, yeah. as you learn um, about like behavior change and what drives behavior, uh, rewards and incentives and those kinds of things, it's it's difficult to not connect those things sometimes. So um, there, there, I'll admit there are times where I'm I maybe testing out little theories with my kids. on, (laughs) 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 Is this going to work or is this not going to work? I I don't think I'm probably as successful doing that with my wife. I think she's probably wise to these kinds of things. So she knows what I'm up to. to. Um, But, you know, as we raise our kids, I, you know, because I'm, you know, even if I were not in this career, Um, I, I think I'm a person who enjoys being active. I enjoy being outside. Mm -hmm. Um, and we, we try and, you know, instill those lessons in our kids and, you know, go out on family hikes as often as possible. We try and eat healthy and teach our kids, you know, from, Mm -hmm. from the beginning. It's, it's really like the, the thing that is most difficult for people, I think, as they become an adult, if they have never learned how to do these things, how to, how to cook, Healthy. How to you know be active on a daily basis? It's really challenging, and understandably so, uh, to just make this lifestyle change and be good at it for the rest of your life. You know, like like anything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it start, requires yeah. somebody to teach you how to do it, and then it requires practice. And that's the part that I think that we we have not done a good job on is is like re- reinforcing this idea that being healthy is, is a practice. It's every single day. Um, and you're not probably going to be great at it at the beginning. And it might take like a couple of years to get good at this. And that's, Mm -hmm. that's okay. This is all leading in the same direction. And so, you know, as for us as raising kids, you know, we want to give them a leg up here and and teach them from the beginning. Like, this is, this is how you like, what, what is healthy. And I think our schools do a, a really, a good job of this too. Um, you know, picking a, a healthier snack and, and, different kinds of programs like this, but we, we really try and make sure that health is, is a big part of, of how we uh, raise our kids as parents.
0: Yeah. Well, that's so awesome. And I know I can attest just, uh, our family getting to visit your family, just seeing you guys, you guys do that. I think you're doing a lot of the right stuff for sure. That. So, um, <laughs> Yeah. Well, Luke, thank you so much for your time. This was so interesting and I look forward to hearing more.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thanks so much for listening. Please leave a review and share with a friend. And if you're enthusiastic about something and want to share it, please contact me at Michelle at com.